0: Go ahead and take a breath. Well, it is that time of the service. It's time for me to invite our kids to come forward. We have Children's Church and Waterway 25 today. So what that means is the kids are dismissed during the sermon. Children's Church is for kids between four years old and first grade. Waterway 25 is for kids between second grade and fifth grade. How's it going, guys? Oh, I like those island shoes. That is nice nice. You guys look good. You girls got your Easter dresses on. You guys look the same as you always do. All right. Hey, I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad that you are here. Now, I have a question. I have a question. I'm going to name a couple of different kinds of food. And when you hear your favorite kind of food, just raise your hand, okay? And, and those of you there in the big chairs, if you'd like to do the same thing just for fun, you go ahead. OK? Nobody's really counting. How many of you think ham is the best food? Ooh, a couple of you. You might be excited today. How many of you think uh, peanut butter eggs are the best? Anybody like those? My mom made them. Your mom made them. There's a guy named Reese that makes some really good ones, too. <laughs> How about jelly beans? I know are they food oh a couple some of you are raising your hands more than once I think how about chocolate bunnies anybody have one of them everybody likes them you have a whole bunch of them I have one you have one that's the difference between having brothers and sisters and not yeah now here's 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 the final question I just want to see if you guys have good cultured taste or not how many of you like cadbury eggs uh, what well, they're the best. I was just curious to see. You don't, you don't think so? No. No? no? Well, I agree to disagree, yeah. One of the things that's really fun about so many different holidays, because this happens at at Christmas time as well, and it happens, is there's a lot of really good food. Have you noticed that? And ham is one of those things. I'm, I'm looking forward to a good meal today, and some of you are too. And candy is one of those things that happens at Easter. And I really love Cadbury eggs, and those are usually only around for a little bit at Easter. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. I just wanted to remind you, have fun today, and this week, enjoying whatever kind of food you like. For children's church. <laughs> are you going upstairs for children's church? Well, I think I think you probably are. Yeah. But is my story taking too long? Yes. Yeah. Wait, children's, for, children's church? for children's church. Well, they'll tell you what to do in the back. Well, yeah. Don't ask. I don't really know. I'm not. I'm not a good one to ask. What? Oh, you, Caden, you think we should pray? <laughs> what? Don't Don't let it be all about the food. Remember Jesus. To pray right now. <laughs> Come on and pray right now. All right, well, you guys want to pray with me? You remember how we... Yeah, all right. Well, let's let's pray. I like to put my hands together, and I usually bow my head, and I close my eyes. Jesus, I thank you for these boys and girls and for their excitement to be here with you. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't forget you, even as they enjoy all the fun other things about Easter, even the food and the candy. Lord, help them to remember you, and Lord, help the grown-ups to remember you too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, you can walk to the back and, and Melanie will help you to figure out where to go. Whew. Church, I am so thankful that even though you think it, you don't often say it the way that they do. You know, just pray and wrap this thing up, Johnson. That's, that's long enough. So, uh... I know we might be here for a little while, and I need a shot of energy, so um, excuse me while I, uh, while I enjoy Cadbury's finest. Open your Bibles to, uh, to Matthew chapter 27. No, there's not enough for the whole church. I Bring your own. You didn't get an Easter basket this morning? Oh, you should talk to your mom. I got one. It's not all about the food, but the food does help. (laughs) Today we're going to read a number of passages from Scripture, but we're going to start at Matthew chapter 27, but not yet. I want to give you a little bit of context so you can remember exactly what's going on here as we come together for this Easter thing. Because I know there are some of us who are really plugged in and we know our Scriptures really well and you know the story, and this is kind of old hat, right? You're here, it's another Easter service, let's just get through it. There are some of us who are still kind of figuring this all out. So here's a little bit of background, okay? If we get really basic, we remember that Jesus was a Jewish man who lived in Israel about 2,000 years ago. Jesus has always existed as the Son of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. He's always been in existence, but he came to earth and lived in a human body until he was in his early 30s. And that happened about 2,000 years ago in the place that we now call Israel. He grew up the son of a builder. His father was probably, even though Joseph was kind of historically called a carpenter, he was probably more accurately like a stonemason, okay? And so Jesus was in that home of a stonemason, but in actuality, we know that he was the son of God. But oftentimes, we get this picture of Jesus as some guy who's maybe doesn't understand much of a normal person's life. We so many of the pictures of Jesus are this delicate dainty guy. Jesus was a stonemason. I mean, he would have had rough hands. He would have had strong arms. Jesus understood what it was to do a whole day's work, to do a whole life's work. So this Jesus, Jewish man, stonemason, grew up in Israel 2000 years ago. He lived a pretty typical life until he was about 30. At that point, He was baptized by a fellow that we call John the Baptist. And he began a three-year ministry telling people in Israel and anyone who would listen about who God really was, what God's hope really was, and about how he was the Son of God, he was the Messiah promised to Israel, and he was the one who could change lives. And so for three years, Jesus traveled around, he recruited people to follow him, he had a group called his disciples, they were people that, that learned from him and, and wrote parts of scripture later on in their lives. Some believed in him, but a lot of people, including most of the leaders of the Jewish religion, which Jesus grew up with, they thought he was evil, not really from God, just a sham who was going around putting on some kind of a magic show. And at that time in history, one of the important things to remember is that Israel was not an independent nation. Israel was part of the Roman Empire. So while the Romans didn't have a lot of beef with Jesus himself, the Jewish leaders of Israel did. And so Rome really liked, in their empire, the leaders of Rome worked for peace, wanted everybody to just stay settled. Let the Roman Empire do its work. Let's let's have a good culture. And this is all the stuff that they were promoting. They didn't like it when the people in all of their territories would get stirred up. And Jesus had stirred up the Jews in Israel. Jesus was, in fact, such a frustration to the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders were such a frustration to those Romans who tried to rule them That Governor Pilate, who was watching over this area where Jesus lived, Governor Pilate let Jesus be executed on a cross. That happened on the day that we call Good Friday. It would have been Friday to the Easter Sunday. Now, the cross, that was not a Jewish tool. That was not a Jewish thing. That was nothing that was like this Jewish tradition. The cross was a Roman death sentence. And there were crosses all over the Roman Empire set up outside a town so that there were people who caused trouble. They'd be hung there. And oftentimes, when people were hung on a cross, they hung there for hours, occasionally days, until their bodies were so weak that they could no longer pull themselves up to get a breath. And so if you died on a cross, you died from asphyxiation. You couldn't breathe anymore because though you were nailed there and your feet were nailed there, eventually your body was so worn out that you sagged. Imagine this, trying to breathe for hours and days. That's how Jesus died. Jesus died in the Roman equivalent of the electric chair. So on a Friday... He was hung on a cross and he was died because the Jewish leaders were so offended by what he was saying and they were causing such a stir in their corner of the Roman Empire that Governor Pilate didn't want to get in trouble with the big bosses back in Rome. And so he said, fine, even though this Jesus is innocent, I wash my hands of him. You guys just take care of him because he wanted to keep the peace. So Jesus died on a cross and on Friday, late afternoon, he was buried in a tomb. And then this is where we pick up with Matthew chapter 27. If you have your Bibles open, just a fantastic series of scriptures here as we get a little bit more background and remember a little bit more about what's going on. This chunk is not up on the screen yet. But Matthew 27, near the end of the chapter, look at verse 62. The chief priests, these are the Jewish religious leaders, and the Pharisees, these were the Jewish men who really knew their religion. They went to Pilate. Pilate was the governor of the territory. Pilate was the one who allowed Jesus to be hung on the cross. Pilate was the one who carried out the death sentence. The chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, and this is in Matthew 27, 63. Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said... After three days, I will rise again. So, see, even the chief priests and the teachers of the law—those people who didn't believe in Jesus—they still knew the story. And so, the liar said that after three days, I will rise again. Verse sixty-four. So, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard. Pilate answered, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So what's happening here? We have Jesus, who is this religious authority and who we know as the savior of the world. Jesus being executed by the government where he lives. I know there are people in our world today who are concerned that Christianity cannot flourish and thrive if the government is not behind it. Well, let me tell you, the government has never been fully behind Christianity, and Christianity's been fine. Jesus executed by a secular government. Jesus now even being persecuted, even in his death, by the existing religious authorities saying, we've heard rumors, we heard that he taught that he'd rise, make sure there's a guard there. We don't want his disciples to come. You think about conspiracy theories today, nothing is new, folks. There is nothing new under the sun. We're pretty sure his disciples, if they will come and steal the body, then everybody will think that he rose from the grave. So set out a guard. Pilate said, fine, take a guard. So go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Now think about this church. Think about the importance of this. We often get to Easter morning, we celebrate the empty tomb and, and we talk about the ramifications of that as we should. But remembering what's happening here. The governor knows where Jesus is buried. He's getting this report. The governor sends out his guards, and, and these are not just like lackey mall cop kind of guys. Um, apologies to any of you if you're a mall cop. It's an important job. It's an important job. Whew, that was, maybe I'll not say that one next time. <laughs> these are legit guards, okay? Okay make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone. So the stone's not just rolled there, but it's sealed up. And, and listen, people in this time weren't folks that, oh, how are we gonna put a seal? They, they knew how to deal with stone. They made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and by posting the guard. So, so again, this rising from the grave, I hope you're getting the picture. This isn't something that happens easily or haphazardly, or just by rumor. That's Matthew 27. If we continue the story into Matthew 28, we know that Jesus died on Friday, and the Jews count their days a little bit differently than we do, but I'm just going to use Friday and Saturday and Sunday. That might be easiest for us. On Friday, Jesus died, and he was buried. And we see that on the next day, which would have been the Sabbath, if I'm counting correctly, on Saturday, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate and said, Sir, we, we think the disciples might be up to something fishy. Can we? And so on Saturday, a guard is posted and the stone is sealed. And now we pick up in Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, the Sabbath which would have been on sundown Friday until sundown Saturday... After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, that is Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So this is the third day, as the counting would go. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Verse 2: Remember what's happening at the tomb though. There's guards there, right? It's sealed up. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, which had been sealed, and sat on it in the presence of the guards. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. How do we know the guards were still there? Because look at verse 4. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. These are real guards, real guys with real weapons. And yet, when they saw the angel roll away this sealed stone, they were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Remember that. It's going to be important as we circle back around. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, the stone was sealed, the guards were there, and yet Jesus was gone. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Then you will see him. Now I have told you. So in Matthew 28, 8, it says that the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, but filled with joy. Have you ever been that way? Kind of a little bit afraid, but you've got the adrenaline, you've got the joy, and and you've got all these emotions happening, but you're on a mission from God, right? Right? The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. These disciples, these are the guys that have been following Jesus most closely for three years. They've they've been watching everything he does. He's been teaching them and and trying to train them so that they could go out and be a light to the world after he was gone. So these women are hurrying away from the tomb. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. (laughs) Wouldn't that be ridiculous? I, I mean, really. You're walking to tell the disciples that he's not here. You just saw him die on the cross on Friday. Now, Sunday morning, he's not. I mean, I don't have a great memory. Melanie remembers everything. I can't remember anything, but I can remember what happened on Friday. They saw their friend die on the cross. And now he shows up in front of them, greetings. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So Jesus is kind of orchestrating this whole reunion here. The ladies are blown away. They clasped his feet and they worshiped him. All this is happening while the guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Do you see all the witnesses that are there? Do you see all the things that are happening that kind of would line up so that this isn't just some rumor well, let's see how it actually unfolds. Look at verse 11 of Matthew 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards, some of the guards, we don't know exactly how many guards there were, but some of them, seems like there's kind of a, a little group, maybe a squad. Some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Okay. So, so now the guards who were placed there by the governor are going into the city, and now they tell the religious people all the stuff that happened. What are they going to say? Um, see, there was an angel. <laughs> and um, no, we didn't, we didn't stop him. No, we didn't arrest him. Why not? Wow, well, you know, it was very dark. <laughs> what do you say? What do you say? The guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. What did they say? Everything. There's an angel. We couldn't even move. We're terrified. And there were these two women there. And the angel spoke to them, right? Verse 12, when the chief priests keep the characters straight, there's Pilate the governor, he's in the service of Rome, he's trying to keep everything still. He sent out the guards and they sealed it up so that the disciples wouldn't come and steal the body. Now the guards, they've seen all this and some of the guards go back to the religious authorities who were the ones that were so mad that they said to Pilate, crucify this guy. Now the guards come back to these religious authorities. They tell them everything that happened. And so, verse 12, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Oh, don't you just hate it when people in the service of the government take a bribe to do things? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. That's probably a 21st century invention, isn't it? When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Basically, guys, here's a bunch of money. Tell everybody that you're the worst soldiers ever. Tell everybody that you fell asleep and this band of misfits got past you. Open the sealed stone. You know, easy to do. Wouldn't wake anybody up by breaking that seal, would you? Tell everybody that they stole the body while you were asleep. And then to verse 14, the the religious leaders continue, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. In other words, tell him you're incompetent morons, but you'll keep your jobs because we've got your back. Religious authorities ever in collusion with the government? No. So the soldiers took the money. They did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see this story unfolding? Do you see what's really going on here? Do you see how easy it would have been to squash this whole Christianity thing if it wasn't real? Pilate knew right where Jesus was. Pilate had allowed this man to be executed as a political prisoner on a Roman cross. Pilate, who's just trying to keep the peace, if he just wanted to shut up all of these Christians, and if he just wanted to pacify all these Jews, what did he have to do? All he has to do to keep the peace is just produce a body, right? Sunday morning, the women are running around telling people the tomb is empty. We we don't know. And and the guards were there and and there was an angel. Pilate could say, no, no, guys, this is ridiculous. Look, soldiers, go get the body. They could have brought it out and showed it to everybody. They did not. Why? Because they could not. The body was not there. And now we've got government witnesses. And now we've got religious witnesses. We've got money changing hands Pilate did not produce a body because Jesus was not there. Jesus came back to life. We call that resurrection. And that kind of thing doesn't happen every day. I mean, prisoners died on crosses every day. That's not an amazing thing. A person before the time of Jesus, if they were to walk into one of our churches today and, and see crosses on the wall, they might say, why? What, what, why don't you just put a noose up there? But we see it as important because this is the mark of, yes, Jesus was dead, but it did not conquer him. He came back to life, and that's what makes him powerful. And so 20 years after that all happened, as the faith of Christianity is growing and growing and growing, as the story could not be dismantled with some kind of evidence of the truth. No, see, the truth is that Jesus rose from the grave. He he stepped out of that place on his own power, And even the government was powerless against him. That's the truth. And so 20 years after that, as as the religion is growing and growing and growing, there's a Jewish scholar named Paul who says that he's passing along this message to the Corinthians. Look at this up on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Corinthians, these are people who live in a town called Corinth. Corinth is a city that still exists today, although it's in a different kind of a shape. It's about 50 miles outside of Athens. How many of you have heard of Athens, right, in Greece? So Paul, this apostle, this Jewish man, is writing a message 20 years after the death of Jesus Christ, writing a message to the church in Corinth, because thank God, Thanks to the Roman infrastructure, thanks to the roads and the travel and the commerce and the ships, this word of Christianity has been spreading like wildfire ever since Jesus rose from the grave. And now Paul is writing to this church in Corinth and he says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Paul had been there before. He was a visitor. He knew these people. But brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. In other if you give up on your faith, your belief means nothing. He says, if you stand firm in your faith, that's a sign that your faith is real and you will be saved. And then Paul, this apostle, summarizes the gospel message that he had shared with them. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Died on the cross, right? That he was buried in the grave that was sealed up with all the guards. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve, that is his disciples. Paul goes on, and and remember, this is written just 20 years after Jesus had risen from the grave. It'd, It'd be as if I was telling you a story today about things that happened in 2003, Now, I know history is hard for some of us and and it can feel like, but but Paul is writing about current events. People could have stood up and said, whoa, 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 Paul, you're being ridiculous. I was there in 2003. Some of you, any of you remember 2003? 2003? So here's Paul, he's saying, I'm reminding you, church, of all these important things that Christ died, that he was buried, he raised in the third day, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the 12, and by the way, those guys are all still living, except for Judas, who hanged himself. Those guys are all still living. If you think Paul is full of baloney, you can go talk to Peter anytime you want. Peter, did it really happen? Do you see how, do you see how this is spreading? It's because it's true. I mean, this is the most elaborate conspiracy in the history of ever, if this is made up. But Paul goes on and he says, after he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, Jesus appeared, this Jesus who had come back from the dead, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That means their bodies have died. Why does Paul say that? Paul says, Corinthians, you want to check it out? I got 500 people you can go talk to. They all saw it. How many witnesses do you have to have for something to be legitimate? My goodness, some of us believe a news report if one person says they see it. Paul says, I know 500 folks who saw Jesus. And then verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is Paul writing about himself. He says, Jesus appeared to me says, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I per- persecuted the church of God. Paul says, Jesus appeared to all these folks. And he even appeared to me. And now I'm going to give you a little bit more background on that because this is background Sunday. It's not time for me to be done yet. And I haven't heard any of you say, would you just pray already? <laughs> At least not out loud. A little bit of Paul's background. Paul, who is writing to the Corinthians about Jesus, telling them that this is the most important thing ever? Paul, who says that Jesus appeared to me? Well, there's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 7, about a guy named Stephen. Stephen, soon after the time of Jesus, was a powerful witness for Jesus. And he preached and he told everybody about the truth of Jesus. In fact, he said to the Jewish folks, the Jewish folks who wouldn't believe. Anthony read this morning from the book of Isaiah, the prophecy that was given to the Jews about who Jesus would be. Well, there were a lot of Jewish people who wouldn't believe, and, and Stephen said to them, You stiff necked people. That was, that was hard language 2,000 years ago. Stiff necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. In other words, your daddy was no good, and you're no good either. <laughs> this is what he's saying to them. Stephen, this. This believer in Jesus is saying, You Jewish folks, why can't you see it? Why won't you believe? He goes on in Acts 7, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Now you've betrayed and murdered him and the people in the Jewish assembly where Stephen was preaching, they got all mad and they started to get so angry. And then Stephen looked up at heaven and he said, look, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen uh, uh, testifying about Jesus to the Jewish authorities, many of the same men who had Jesus hung on the cross because they picketed Pilate so strongly. Stephen says in their presence, I see heaven standing open and the son of man, that's Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And in Acts seven fifty-seven, it says, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. These are the religious leaders. They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. What it means to stone him is they pick up stones and they throw them at him until he dies. That's what stoning is. Imagine baseball and softball-sized stones thrown at a person until they're dead. This is what they were doing to Stephen, telling them about Jesus. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he said all this, he fell asleep. That is, his body died. Now, interestingly, there was a young man standing there. His name was Saul. Now, on that day, when Stephen was speaking to the religious authorities, telling them about Jesus, telling them about the hope of the gospel, when Stephen was being stoned and then he died, on that day, Acts chapter 8, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. In other words, everybody who didn't believe in Jesus started persecuting those who did. And by the way, they were fine. You start worrying about what's going to happen if if your friends and the world around you doesn't believe in Jesus. Well, tell them about Jesus because they need to know. But people start persecuting the church. What happens? The church grows because these people now got scattered around Judea and Samaria. And what do you think they talked about there? It says that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, Saul dragged off both men and women who believed in Jesus and put them in prison. Now, the rest of the story, and you can read this in Acts chapter eight and Acts chapter nine, is that this guy named Saul, one night was walking on the street and he was getting ready to go and kill some more Christians and Jesus appeared to him and said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And Saul, in fact... the way this story unfolds, all oh, is beautiful. Saul falls down before him, recognizing that he is indeed the Lord, and, and he turns his life around, and, and Jesus changes Saul's name to Paul. And Paul then, years later, wrote 1 Corinthians 15, and he says to the people in Corinth, I'm passing along to you what is most important, that Jesus died. He was buried, and he rose from the grave. And, and Saul said, now this guy named Paul said, There are over 500 people who can tell you about Jesus, and I can too. This Paul, who had been standing in the presence of Stephen as he was being stoned, this Paul, who was the chief of the brute squad, this Paul, now telling them about changed life in Jesus, all that has to happen is for Pilate to bring a dead body. Here's your Savior. Couldn't happen. Jesus was Lord all that has to happen is for some witness to say, no, no such thing as a resurrection. I saw it couldn't happen because Jesus is Lord. And now here is this Paul saying, I am testifying to you with my own life. I used to kill Christians, and now I'm planting churches and encouraging Christians. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Saul was a murderer and a destroyer of the church, but now he's sharing the news about Jesus to the whole world. And Paul says, this is of first importance. I've got to tell you about Jesus. Pilate would have shut down the fuss by producing a body. He couldn't because Jesus is Lord. Paul would have kept killing Christians. He didn't because Jesus is Lord. The devil would have had victory keeping humanity trapped in sin, but he doesn't because Jesus is Lord. Death should scare us, but it doesn't because Jesus is Lord. We would be hopeless, stuck in our sins, but we're not because Jesus is Lord. And we would all be destined for meaningless life on earth and eternity in hell, but we don't have to be because Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've been. Have you ever overseen the murder of a godly person? It doesn't matter how bad you think you've been. It doesn't matter how many secrets you think that you've been keeping. You can be saved and delivered from all that if you will believe in Jesus Christ. The witnesses were there. The accounts lined up. The stories all meshed. Despite the persecution, despite the government's not in our favor, despite all of that noise, there is life in Jesus Christ and and so much so that it can't even hold him in the grave. And people for the last 2,000 years have been going around the world telling about Jesus. Here in our culture, in our part of the world, we're not seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ take hold the way it's happening in some other places. But I'm hearing about people talking about statistics around the world that are talking about 1,000 people coming to faith in Jesus Christ every hour around our world. I mean, this message is still spreading like wildfire, even though most governments don't care about it, not ultimately. Even though Christians are being persecuted, even killed for their faith the way that Stephen was. There is life in Jesus. The Jews couldn't squash it. Pilate couldn't kill it. The guards couldn't stop it. And history can't deny it. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus said that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. I don't know what you're carrying with you today, I don't know what kind of guilt might be wrapping you up. I don't know what kind of secrets might be holding you back. I don't know what you're ashamed of or embarrassed by or even afraid of. But let me tell you, there is life and there is freedom and there is deliverance in Jesus Christ. Even a guy like Saul, that murderous, church-hating, Christian-killing killer, even a guy like him could be turned around to the point where he writes half the New Testament. You are not too far away from God when you call out on the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is of first importance, and so I bring it to you today. I want to just kind of punctuate this whole, this is of first importance. Jesus Christ, he lived the life that the Bible says he did. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb, sealed up and guarded. But he rose from the grave. Witnesses saw him. And now the message keeps spreading because there is freedom in Jesus Christ. There is life in Jesus and nowhere else and so the invitation still stands. 2,000 years later, the invitation is still here for all who will believe, for all who will cry out to Jesus. You can be forgiven of all that stuff. Now there is still life to be lived. And, and Jesus showed us that even life with God is often a life of suffering and difficulty. This doesn't, mean, this doesn't mean health and wealth for the rest of your time here on earth. But what it means is freedom and life. So that even if you are sick, you can have joy Crying out to Jesus. Even if you are dying, you can be at peace knowing that Jesus is holding on to you. Whoever believes in him will have everlasting life, and this is of first importance. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And Jesus, we worship you because you are powerful enough not to be stuck there. Despite despite the seal that the stonemasons might have attached, despite the guards that were there awake and alert, Lord Jesus, you overcame it all. And Lord, I believe and I know that, that you can overcome all the hindrances in our lives as well. Lord, I know that that you can take away our sin, you can take away our guilt, all of our shame, all the stuff that makes us not want to talk about this anymore. Lord, we know you can take that all away. You can deliver us from darkness. You can bring us into the light. And you can give us real life, life worth living. Lord, please send your spirit now into this place and and stir our hearts. If we've heard about you for a long time, relight that fire. And, And God, if there are people in this room who don't know you yet, I pray that you would stir in them in such a way that they believe in you and be saved. Because Lord, we know that all who believe in you will be saved. Lord, we're standing on that truth now, just like the Corinthian church did. We stand on the truth of Jesus Christ Dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Now, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to make it all possible. Show us now how to be yours. Show us how to live the life that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.